I'm, <laughs> I'm fucked either way. You know? I got I got anthrax, so <laughs> don't don't get too close. <laughs> Literally, thank the U.S. Navy for that one. God damn. Thank you, Tom Ridge. Yeah. All right. Uh, Are we rolling? Yeah, I have drugs that I have to take for us to be able to do this show. But we have already, a special already guest. Took mine. Yeah. Yeah. Flowmax. For my prostate. <laughs> we have uh, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Should I wish? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I almost met him back in September. No shit. Yeah, he was a uh, he was a uh, we played a show at the Troubadour in L.A. and he, he I found out after the show, thank God that he was there. I, I would have choked, <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't feeling good, so I left right after. And everybody was like, "Dude, Billy Gibbons was there!" Like, God damn, hanging out in the bar. I was like, "Are you kidding me, man?" I didn't get to talk to him. So. Who? Let me ask you this, Starter, right. since you've uh, you've uh, since your your rise, who were some of your more fancy friends? My my what? Your fancy friend. My you, know. Fa- you want me to? Get you know it? the people that you're like. You I, me- I don't want to name drop, but god damn it, I'm friends with. Yeah, well, let me get a hefty bag out real quick for all these names I'm gonna drop. <laughs> my I'm fancy right. friends, like people I'm, I would say I'm actually friends with. Yeah. Uh, Danny McBride. Hell yeah. That's that's dream come true shit. Uh, Johnny Depp. That's cool. Um, I mean Merle Haggard. That was like. I still don't know how that came to be, but I, I'm very grateful that he gave me time. Um, I don't have a lot of friends, man. Uh, Walton Goggins' buddy, Joe Rogan's buddy. Walt, Walton Goggins will come on the show. You mean like famous people? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Or just yeah. cool people? Yeah, cool people. Famous, <laughs> cool people. whatever. Uh, well, you guys are pretty cool. We're hey, friends now. We, we are cool. We are at a spe- very specific like tier of fame. Yeah. That uh, Tyler, Tyler Childers is a buddy. I would consider Tyler a real friend. Chris Stapleton's always been very kind to me. Um, and but in the music world, I, I tend to stay pretty isolated just for the sake of uh, I don't want to end up sounding like somebody else, you know. Yeah, well, I, I've got I've got an idea here because <clears throat> I think that uh, you know you like to change your sound up. A lot. I don't like to. I just get bored, man. Right, I, right, I right. And so I'm going to give you some unsolicited advice as if you don't get enough of that already. Oh, please. Okay. Starting off. Please. I fired <laughs> all the people that used to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you can ask me to leave if you want to. We ain't going to get 10 minutes into this. But with the rise of, of Bernie Sanders, I feel like 1980s Burlington, Vermont is sort of having a moment. All right. So I like LLB. Well, here's, <laughs> well, here's here's where I'm going with that. Or wait, is that the Coke factory? I got them it, twisted. That is the Coke factory. But LLB's in Maine. Damn, man. We say already, say we're, for three minutes in, I already look stupid. <laughs> yes. Welcome to my we life. We don't even have to yeah, talk politics. I already look stupid. <laughs> so here's what I'm thinking. Okay. Okay. We've all been bagging on jam bands for the last decade. DMB, ha, 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 you know, whatever. whatever. It's not for me either. Man, hey, listen though. Let me ask you this: Let's, We might should give Fish a different look in 2020. Did you like to add Trey Anastasio to that list of fancy friends? Or? Uh, I would. I'll look. I'll hang out with anybody. <laughs> like even if I don't like your music, if you're a cool person, I'll hang out with you. I'm just gonna be honest that I don't listen to your music. Um, so, and I don't dislike their music. I'm just not familiar. Mostly because I think at a period in my life in my early 20s, after I got out of the military and moved back to a town you know like i wasn't in college i never went to college but most of my friends were in college and college kids get in these cliques and there was one bar particular that was just like if you didn't listen to fish you didn't hang out at that bar so i never really knew if i belonged in that bar because i didn't know what was happening 
and I was into other things, you know, I was always kind of weird like that, and uh, never a deadhead, but, the, you know, all the guys from the band I met are super cool, I just don't know enough to have an opinion, because it's not something that I ever gravitated towards. Well, it's an investment. I, I couldn't name you a single Steely Dan <laughs> yeah. song if it ain't on Double Q, that don't mean I wouldn't have a beer with them, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, I'm I, just, I, I love Steely Dan. I'm, I'm, just, I'm saving it, actually. One day when I'm like 50 or 60, I'm just going to sit on the porch and go down a Steely Dan rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh, that's an awful You won't regret it. Yeah. Fish is like Tolstoy. You know, you've got to set aside years to get through. <laughs> Which, and the, ironic, the ironic thing of this is uh, I played the country singer thing for a few years because I thought when well, you moved to Nashville and I wrote this country record, and that's like I got up and sing these songs. But after a while, you just start feeling like a karaoke machine. Yeah. But I always wanted to be a guitar player in a rock band, like as a kid. Even when my grandfather was shoving bluegrass down my throat, like I was into Roy Buchanan and Danny Gatton and Roy Gallagher and Hendrix and all these guys. So now it's like I finally found myself at 41 in the rock band I always wanted to be in <laughs> and tired of singing King Turd. So we just jam now. And right. that's just, it ain't, that's just how it is, man. Sometimes you just. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. It's, okay. it's Ronan. Yes, sir. But 28 minutes long. That might happen. <laughs> just you fucking just. By the time we get to Rupp Arena, that will probably happen. That's what, that's what I want. I'm going to time it out too. Right. While I'm there. <laughs> well, I guess today everybody is uh, not Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, but yeah. uh, I'm so sorry. But uh, <laughs> Grammy Award winning uh, Eastern Kentucky's finest. I got his number too. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah break them break all up. <laughs> Mr. Sturgill Simpson, ladies and gentlemen. And yeah. Sturgill, are you familiar with a writer by the name of J.D. Vance? You remember yes. that name? Absolutely. So, um, for the oh, audience. Oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he's from, uh, well, he's from Jackson, where I'm from. That's right. Sort of. Right. <laughs> sort of. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I think that it's it's fitting. Like, we started our show off with a sort of. You know, grand roast of J.D. Vance. Like, he says he's from Jackson. I mean, technically he is, right? I'm, yeah, I guess. Well, is it? I think what it was, his grandparents were like the Route 23. His Meemaw from Jackson. Right, right, right. right. And he, you know, did you read his book? Tuesdays with Meemaw, I did. <laughs> well, I read half of it. I, read, oh, I literally funny. read half of it. I read half of every book that I like. And uh, <laughs> I don't want to trash anybody, man. I, I, I really don't, but I will. Um <laughs> I, the fun, a funny story, because uh, you know I, I've done gone all Hollywood and shit, right? So right. I know all these casting directors, and yeah. uh, they all know me and they know where I'm from. So I got some phone calls oh, when yeah. it's time to make this movie about if I would, you know, uh, give an opinion on some things, and yeah. that, that lasted about ten minutes. <laughs> and I, I, you know, here's what I'll say: this for I'll give this to JD. Like so many coastal elites over the decades that have come to Eastern Kentucky and found a way to point out all its problems, much like them, he offered no solutions. He just found a way to get fucking paid for it. Right. Twice. Uh, right. Twice. So you got to hand it to him. Yeah. Wherever he went to Ivy League school, like it didn't, it wasn't for nothing. Uh, That's right. He got that Ron Howard bag. That's what we do, basically. We point out all uh, the you, problems. Have you seen the credits for the movie? It's like Holler Girl number oh, two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ho Holler Ant. <laughs> Which is like holler a real ant. archetype, though, right? Like we all got like you're a, trailer, you're a holler ant, drug I am dealer, a holler ant. Yeah, yeah, there was one that was like dealing by the tree, yeah. dealing by the <laughs> tree. Let's, let's, just, let's just say at the end of the conversation, it was basically like, so we take it you're not going to submit any music for the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is funny though that 
with what you've done and what your success and all this stuff and you know however we feel about it, it's a different thing but it is kind of strange that jackson kentucky this sort of sits at the center of culture yeah, did you awesome. ever anticipate that uh, why man bill, bill monroe had a bluegrass festival there uh yeah. it's yeah. The, it's the only county in the entire nation that never had one single draftee in any of the world wars everybody volunteered because I, I guess they figured we can stay here and get shot or we can go over there and get shot right right uh well, I mean, well, they, tell me, I mean, like, if, if it's like, okay, I'm going to die in a coal mine or if I'm going to die, you know, yeah. for the country or whatever. My, my grandparents were originally from Perry County, uh, and both, Mamma and Papa were both born, like, one mountain apart in separate coal camps. Yeah. And I guess they moved to Jackson probably for work. Papa ended up working at a place called Falcon Coal, which is down off the highway between Jackson and Hazard, which eventually mm-hmm. became Diamond Shamrock, and Mom's brother worked there, and... So we, they settled in Jackson at some point in the late 60s. It's not, to be fair, I mean, it, the, the the town and the community that I knew when I was a child and lived there and would even after I moved away because of my dad's work, uh, when we I'd go back every summer and stay with my mom and papa if they didn't go to the lake yeah. in Waspar. But it was a different feeling then, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, it's, nothing's changed. The shell hasn't changed, but I guess when I go back, and maybe I've changed or just, you know, been away too long. But I, I feel like, and all my, you know, my uncle's still there. My cousins are still there. But it, the feeling, I guess, it's still home. Right. You know, it's only, I, I could be, I don't sleep very well. I probably sleep three hours a night. But if I go home to my grandmother's house and sit on the couch, I'm out cold in five minutes. Yeah. Sleep like a baby. You know, <laughs> um, get that good AC on, get that grandma house smell. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is. It is. But, uh I don't know, man. And then I've been talking with the with the sheriff down there for a couple of years now, trying to come up with I don't, you know, this job comes with a lot of self applied pressure. Maybe I'm probably hardest on myself than anybody. Yeah. And I don't, I'm just coming up short with like what I could actually do. Yeah. That would make any kind of difference or help anybody. Not that anybody needs help, you know what I mean? But like you, you build what do you build a park? You build a stage or a theater for the high school, and then put your name on it. Put your name on it. Say, look what I did, and hire your publicist to tell the world about it. I don't do that shit, so I just don't know what would actually make a difference, other than you know showing up and going to schools and playing music for kids, and then telling them like, there's so many opportunities out there that you don't have to imagine. You know, just know they're real. Yeah. You know, and and you don't have to necessarily abandon your community or leave where you're from or be ashamed where you're from to accept and understand those opportunities. Yeah. But nobody's bringing any opportunities there. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Right. I I remember reading a few years ago, the FBI called Breathitt County a full-time job (laughs) because there is so much corruption in the local government. Well, that's another reason I've hesitated to do anything. It's like, well, I'm going to write a check and hand it to somebody (laughs) and I might as well wipe my ass with it light on fire, man. You don't know. It'll, it'll come out on the other end as like a tank, or surplus tank left over from World so, War II. There, there used to be a woman that ran Jackson, Marie, Ever, Mrs. Eversole, I think her name was, back in the day when ma'am, everybody had respect for her. She was still around. She held them all to the fire, uh-huh. the judges and everybody. She kept Jackson accountable. And But Marie, I think, what was her name? I think it was Ever, Eversole? Yeah. Anyway, that was a bygone era. Um, One of my favorite parts of Jackson is the uh, the Oxbow. <laughs> what, what, why was that a... Uh, how was that created? Did they 
you know what I'm talking about, like that lake, um, that lake, I guess. It like kind of runs like a river. Yeah, like yeah. Through, P- like Pambo Lake. Pambo. Yeah. Pam- okay. Yeah, that's that's off of uh of Lake Side of States, which is the second house I lived in in my life. It was in that neighborhood next to Pambo. Okay. And I put a hidden song about Pambo on Meta Modern at the end of it. Uh, Hell yeah. Um, it's a man-made lake. Okay. And it's, I, mean, I guess you can fish it now. Where my all my time on Pambo was uh, my uncle played music very good musician kind of saw me gravitating and had an ability and 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 really encouraged it and but he had two buddies wade and walter they were twin brothers and they lived down on pambo lake in this house that was basically like one big shotgun and they had set the entire front of the house up like a stage with lights and everything and they just kept the drums and everything set up in the pa and on the weekends they'd have parties and I was probably, I mean, six, seven years old going and sitting in playing guitar with these grown-ass men <laughs> and watching Danny Gatton and Roy Buchanan VHS tape stuff way beyond where my musical palette was even right. possibly re- able to absorb at the time. But it stuck with me. And uh, But their house was right on Pambole. And I'm sure there was things going on all around me I was unaware of, like, in terms of the partying. But, like, they just <laughs> thought it was cool this kid was so into music yeah and that's sort of really where my early education in music came from was wade and walter begley on pambo lake hell yeah that's yeah awesome. every time i drive by it i'm like this is what makes jackson jackson in a way and you can drive all the way i think like if you go up that entrance where the lake is and drive around the back side of lake side of the mountain you'll dump out on the other side of town kind of up close to walmart right yeah um my cousin brad could probably show you every four-wheeler trail in breath county that puts in contact with brad yeah. um another funny um, should, but he's a good dude man another fun little jackson piece of trivia or tidbit is like um a few years ago there was a big rock fall um above the walmart and it blew a hole like in the side of the walmart oh that's a damn shame yeah but it was really funny because the local news was interviewing this walmart guy. blew a damn hole in jackson <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true it was funny they were interviewing this guy afterwards on the local news and he was like well i guess the, the local walmart got a drive through at least <laughs> <laughs> just totally like optimist deadpan that's what you have to do to keep from crying, though. You know what I mean? It's just our thing. I'm yeah. sorry. We were talking shit about J.D. Vance. Not uh, no, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I didn't mean to take away from that. No, I, I, I don't have anything else to say about it other than you're both from the same place. Well, I mean, you've got J- two totally different They didn't even film the movie there, right? I don't George, think they filmed okay. in George. Well, they have filmed two movies in Jackson. I don't know if you're aware of this. The first being Next of Kin. Featuring the one and only Patrick, Patrick Swayze. Swayze. That's right. And, the, and then you may remember the scene uh, where he gets off the train. There used to be an old train depot in Jackson. It was right down in Stray Branch where my great-grandmother lived. And my cousin Brad and I would go play at that train station all the time. It wasn't safe. But they filmed that scene there. And immediately after the shooting wrap, they tore the train station down. But the old man that he sees when he gets off the train standing there that had this long beard. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I can tell. <laughs> no, I... Next Go to back Kim. and watch Next, next to Kim. Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Liam Neeson's finest outing. I just want to throw that out. <laughs> um, but there was an old man at the train station who had this beard. Well, the, when they were shooting and doing location scouting, they went to Hardy's and they saw this old man in there. And I can't remember his name, but he won the fucking lottery. The, uh, oh and God. they called him the $6 million man around Jackson. <laughs> He never changed anything about the way he lived. I think he put his kids through school, or I, I hope I'm getting this right, but he still lived way back in this holler and never, like, 
He was a hermit. Yeah, yeah. He had this big, long Billy Gibbons beard, yeah. you know? And so they saw him, and they're like, oh, he's perfect. So they put him in the movie. I think he pissed all the money away <laughs> somehow, or somebody did for him. But uh, And then the other movie they filmed was Fired Down Below, Steven Seagal. Steven I was Seagal. Say, it's filmed partly in Winesburg, yeah. too. So there's probably yeah. a bunch of, like, illegitimate Seagal kids running around Jackson <laughs> with little ponytails it. and shit. You know? My friend Amanda Black makes an assholes right. next little cameo in that. Well, till this very day, there's a frame next to Ken poster in the Hazard Applebee's. Oh, man. My, my cousin Brad almost ran him over on Main Street at the intersection. He walked out in front of his truck and he's like, holy shit, that's Steven Seagal. <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I know. I don't know why Ron didn't film it there. Yeah, but it is. Uh, it is has always been a centerpiece for Appalachian culture. I'm not. Um, I know. Yeah, like I said, Bill Monroe used to do a festival there until somewhere in the mid or late seventies. I think he ran off with all the money one day, so they just didn't do it again. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Yeah. So you you've been getting into acting a little bit. I think I didn't. I got sucked into it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I enjoy it. I tell you why I did it. When the opportunity, I got I got a weird call. Uh, we we're out in L.A. playing at the Greek Theater. It's probably three three years ago. And my agent said, "Hey, do you want to go meet with a lady and read for a part on a TV show?" And that's all they said. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Well, that's weird." Okay, that's all I can think about. Sure, I'll go and do it. And I went and met this really nice lady, Vicky. And, it was re- and they didn't tell me even what it was. It was so, like, secretive and weird and cryptic that I walked out of there just kind of like, what the fuck just happened? And we got home a week later from the tour, and, they, and my agent called. He's like, hey, they need you to fly back to L.A. and read with this woman in Mahershala Ali again for True Detective. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's only, like, the most anticipated third right. season of television <laughs> in history. Time. Uh, somehow they knew my dad was a state trooper and yada yada and art is art and expression is expression so i flew back fuck it why not and and went and read with this dude with like oscars and shit and it went in the whole like producers and the writers and the director everybody's in the room that wasn't uncomfortable at all <laughs> and uh and i didn't get the part thank god probably because that's the most anticipated season of television and i'd never done it before <laughs> and but that led to another, I guess the same production company that worked on that show did this other thing. And they, they knew or saw the tapes and asked me if I wanted to do this other thing in Pittsburgh. And I was like, yeah, why not? I'll try it. I was so burnt out on the road at this time. Yeah. This was 2017. First of all, anybody that came to my show in 2017, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not want to be out there. I was missing my wife and my kids terribly. Yeah. I'd been asking for time off for two years. Had literally had to fire everybody to get it. Wow. And uh, I just was burnt out, like an exhausted in a way that I'd never really. I didn't. I I was not understanding what I was processing at the time. Like I'm, I'm one of those people. If you just point me in a direction, I'll just keep going yeah. until I die. And uh, I should have known when to say when. And then I took a second job in between all that touring, making that TV show, and that led to an audition for uh, this movie, Queen and Slim. Which I went, I went out to L.A. and, and auditioned for the director Molina, who's a brilliant, yeah, absolute visionary. And I, I just, just being in the room with her, I could tell like I have to work with this human being. Um, just sheer sheer creative energy. I just wanted to like learn from her, and uh, and that was a lot of a lot of fun and very educational experience. Yeah, <clears throat> is that the one where you play a police officer? Yeah, I play yeah. a, 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 a cop. A, a, well, it's kind of underspoken, but yeah, it's there. Um, and it was, and I got to work with Daniel Kaluuya, who's 
obviously Amazing. brilliant. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and Lena Waithe and some other people. We shot that thing in Cleveland right in the middle of the Polar Vortex. The, that whole 12-minute scene took like a week. And it's like negative 27 degrees outside. It was, wow. it was very like... I'll never uh, sell short what those people do again mm-hmm. as long as I live. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is work. It's absolutely work. And I would go home at the end of every day and just fall face down on the bed with my clothes on and pass out. Yeah. I was in the theater in Lexington watching that, and I said, I, I think that's Sturgill Sampson. Yeah. And this lady that was sitting beside me was packed down. This lady was sitting beside me, and she was like, you know, you're pull, you know, pulling me out of the car and all this stuff and opening the trunk with the shoes and the gun and everything. She's like, you know, this is what I got to, you know, tell my son about, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then five seconds later, she said, God, they cast that so good. I hate that motherfucker. <laughs> I know, right? I know. Uh, that's how you've done well so you, you did good well i mean you know like i said dad was a state trooper he was not that cop but he certainly worked with some of those guys yeah. i was around him so i knew what it looked like yeah um you know i got a lot of friends that are that's the most whitest thing you can say but i got a lot of black friends i got a lot of gay friends i know what their life has been um i've the guy who my tour manager i've literally been pulled over in a car with him three or four times in my life and when i was driving you don't get a ticket and when he's driving, we got a ticket. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Even when I tell the guy who my father was, after they've written the ticket, and then they say, oh, tell him to put a good word in front of him. Like, no, motherfucker, I will not do that. Like, yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's – but to me, that a big part of the conversation in that scene was that we wanted everything to be below surface. Like, there was no – it wasn't blatantly racist. It was just more of, like, power dynamics. You weren't cartoonish. I wasn't. Like. Uh, yeah, you don't want to make it a cliche. Yeah, right. Um, but this guy could have been having a bad day. He's a human being. But at the same time, when once he got disrespected and, and reminded, like, his superpowers aren't real, then the switch flips. Right. So we Just uh, how the way it often right. goes. It's yeah. very, very rarely is it cartoonish and, um, you know, character. Well, I watched about 200 hours of YouTube traffic stops. And sometimes that shit gets wow. cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're like, how did these guys get this job? You're right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've still not seen the movie. I haven't either. I want to leave right now and go straight. Well, I die in like the first 12 minutes. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It is a beautiful film, though. Yeah. I, it, I don't know. I'd swim an ocean to work with Melina again, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What a dream. She is an absolute. Yeah. Well, it's a bummer that you, di- that you lost out to Stephen Dorff, though. For a true uh, detective, a bummer. For I'm guessing that's the. That, is that the role you were auditioning? I, for? If nothing else, I could have spared us all from that wig. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Well, that's. I was. Uh, so when I had reached out to you about doing that thing that we're working on, Ashley Atkinson had given me her uh, CBS All Access credentials to watch. See another <laughs> Ashley. Like you've seen Black Klansman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know her. Like, I literally know her. She's an amazing, beautiful human being. Yeah. But I watched that movie in Pittsburgh with her sitting three feet away, and I'm like, I fucking hate you. <laughs> like, who, how can this be the same person? You know what yeah, I mean? She's yeah. so good in that. Damn. That's a shout out. Shout out to Ashley. Ashley's the shit. Yeah. It's like, I know that's you, but I fucking hate you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about, um, so, you know, you talk about, like, pulling from real world experiences and stuff like that. I want to talk about working on the railroad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let, let, I would love to talk about working yeah, on the railroad. Nobody talk. ever asked me about that. <laughs> no, I, I want to talk about it because of, like, the specific place you were working. Right. Um, what is it? It was, you said it was like a mid, it's like a, 
a juncture between like mid all Midwestern and I worked at a Union Pacific intermodal switching yard in Salt Lake City which is the main cross artery for the entire western region of the United States. So any train coming from Seattle or California going anywhere else east of there has to come through our yard. So it was just this major busy intersection. Right. And we'd get trains coming in from both directions, and we'd tear them apart, rip out cars from Manifest, throw them in differently, holding tracks, rip cars we were holding to go on those trains and cargo and rebuild them and throw the power on and get them crewed and send them down the line. Yeah. So I I started as a switchman. Like, actually tearing the trains apart, sloughing them down to the tracks. Then I was an engineer for a while. And then I was a yard master, which is like you're rolling around in this big beefed-up four-wheel drive truck with 18 radio <laughs> antennas. That's also just a killer talking title. To, talking to everybody coming in and out of the yard. It's kind of playing chess with the train yard. Right. And being an artist, I learned in the Navy I have a natural ability for gathering, assimilating information. And then, like literally playing chess yeah or it comes in real handy in a studio when you're producing or or seeing things 10 steps ahead uh, i can't it took me three years to pass algebra one but like i can <laughs> i can laterally think like nobody you right. know um so the the and the western region director's office happened to be on that yard and he he called me screwy stewie because he knew he, he knew i was a little different in touch but he's like just let that bird fly and you know do not disturb the exotic bird and everything will be just fine and then so from that i fucked around into an assistant management position at night and about three months after i took that the guy running the yard i guess didn't want to work or went somewhere else uh or when he moved up so i took the operations manager position this is all like a year and a half yeah um, so I fucked up real good and proper and did a good job. And I was out there kind of like, it was the first time I'd really stepped away from music and all the sorrow and disappointment that that had brought me up until that point. Yeah. And I stepped away from drinking and, and drugs and all this shit and really just decided to throw myself into that job. And, uh, it was a great job. Yeah. I, but the management positions where I fucked up cause now I'm not on the yard anymore. Which was sort of good because it was in the desert Utah sun 12 hours a day. I, I literally aged 10 years and three years out there. And uh, yep. But now you're on these conference calls and now you're, you got to go to the seminars and the khaki pants and all that shit, man. And I just hit vapor lock and uh, got real depressed. And so the guitar came out of the closet, started writing and playing. And my wife was just like, you're a fucking idiot because that's what you should be doing. Right. So... We got quit the job and we moved to Nashville. Yeah. So that's the last job you had before. Uh, uh, well, the last job technically that I had was working stocking shelves at a grocery store. I see. Once we moved to Nashville. That was a tough blow going from like 62 a year yeah. to less than minimum wage and like being a songwriter at 35. You've never questioned your life decisions until you're 35 years old sleeping on the floor in a fucking hotel room with a bunch of 23-year-olds barely making enough money to put gas in the car to get to the next gig right and you got a wife at home with a baby on the way and you're thinking am i insane right or am i just a real thirsty bitch or like what <laughs> what is it you know yeah um and luckily things worked out and i got yeah. really lucky and nobody else wrote a song about turtles and drugs one year so. <laughs> well the reason i ask and trust me i'm not a terrorist or anything um but it is like well, see now everybody's going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At, if you talk about pressure points in America's infrastructure, yeah. the grid, and everything, that is one of them. If you shut that down, oh, the whole economy collapses. <laughs> collapses. Right. Yeah. No, dude. Like if a train showed up two minutes late, you know, uh, that's the end of the world. Because right. now we have 
not only to get it done, we have to get that two minutes back and get it out early. Right. And if it's and if it's forty five seconds early, literally four motherfuckers I will never meet in my life are calling my office screaming. I mean right. screaming. Cussing, screaming. It was like the military all over again. It was right. a very tyrannical environment because there's so much accountability. Right. It can't stop. It can't not run. You know, uh, we go to war, oil goes up, trucking gets more expensive, train freight jumps through the roof. Everybody's going, going, going train now, you know, That's right. uh, they ship cars, they ship you, one, every one of those cars. It could be flat screen TVs. It could be 80,000 spark plugs. You know, you don't know what's in those things unless you open up and look at the manifest. That's right. Sometimes we'd, uh, we'd have space rocket boosters. There was a, there was what? a, a, a NASA. No, there was an actual aeronautics, like Air Force, something other down the road Air in Utah. 51. Yeah, yeah. We had Doug Moore, <laughs> there was an Air Force base, but then they had the place where they actually made the boosters that, uh-huh. that they use at Kennedy Space Center to lift those things up and send them up there. So like giant bombs. That's crazy. Like boosters full of rocket fuel. They would ship them by train. Jesus. Department of Defense, Homeland Security would come by. They'd come in, they'd brief us all, and they have to like, we'd store them for days on end down yeah. in this little holding track and then ship them out. So like... It was it was big boy pants stuff, man. Like yeah. cleaning up train wrecks is big boy pants. Yeah. Um, and then watching a train wreck happen right in front of you is definitely mm-hmm. a very sobering experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched them, but only figuratively. It's terrifying. You know. It's yeah. terrifying. It's, it happens so fast, you're completely powerless until everything stops moving. Right. From wow. its own inertia, but it's I mean literally within a matter of seconds. It goes from being on the track to 15 cars on the ground, like displacing enough earth to build an Olympic swimming pool. That's insane. And you're just like, oh, shit, I was sitting there in my truck 15 minutes ago. Right. Where that stuff's all piled up now, you know. They did it in a way so that they didn't have to use their own guys. Yeah. Because they're not efficient. I see. Mm -hmm. A cold train wreck down from my house when I was growing up. Just the sound alone was Mm. fucked. The sound is awful. It was terrifying. Like, we didn't know what happened. Gnarled, twisting steel. Yeah. Right. You know, and you think like one locomotive is a diesel turbine locomotive is about 30,000 horsepower. Jeez. So if you got yeah. four of those hooked up together pulling a train, man, like I could rip this hotel right off its foundation. That's insane. God. <laughs> the power is just inconceivable. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd be sitting in the locomotive. If you're the engineer and you're pushing back and say a car, you know, however, 25, 30 cars back, you know, you're talking... Some of these, some of these things are a mile and a half long, right? And if it goes in the dirt, you have no idea because you're you're sitting on 140 thousand horsepower just pushing backwards, right? Until somebody gets on the radio and says, "Hey, dumbass, stop!" <laughs> you lost half your train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Christ. Well, I think that's a. It seems like that's kind of a recurring theme, though, in a lot of your stuff, like um, not twisted metal, but also kind of that. But like, uh, but you know, like. Systems of hierarchy and tyranny and like hegemonic structures. Yes, there you go. That's what I've found that you can't escape it. Right. Um, All I can do is try to change the world I operate in, which is the music business. And I've learned that nobody really gives a shit. You're not going to change anything. You can bitch all you want, then you just look like a bitter asshole. But really, by trying to bring transparency to what is essentially like a paper thin operation, definitely a hegemonic structure because there's gatekeepers Mm -hmm. and they decide who gets the platform. And if you're not servicing their their business model or directly benefiting them, you're not going to get the platform. You're always going to be on the outer br- the outer brink. So I just saw that early on and discovered there's a career there too, and just going out and doing whatever you want. Yeah. 
Um, is it a conscious decision? I mean, what you've done with your career. I'm, uh, I mean, it had to be at one point realizing, well, that, that ain't going to happen. If you're not, if you're not on the inside, you never will be. Right. And you know, they prop up the insiders and right. it's all, there's a lot of marketing. There's a lot of manufactured horse shit. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you, you read about things blowing up. It's cause somebody's paying a lot of money for those things to blow up. Sure. Whereas opposed to some like my career or, or, a, or a Jason Isbell or Tyler, that was all grassroots. That's the fans making that happen. Yeah. You know? Um, like Bernie. <laughs> exactly like Bernie. <laughs> Would you call yourself the Bernie of... Uh, the Bernie Sanders I, of rock and roll. I, I don't, rock and roll. I'll be honest, man. I don't know enough <laughs> about Bernie or that whole world in general to call myself. I, I've Ugh. tried to remain beautifully above hell the we're, last three weeks. We're three ambassadors years. for Bernie. We'll tell yeah, you all about him. Trying, you know. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you got me for like, what, an hour, two hours? I'm all ears. My dad, uh, he, the last half of his career, he was a bodyguard for governors. It was like handle executive security for yeah. three or four governors. So in that Kentucky, was in Kentucky, yeah. that was my first introduction to politics. And what I learned is they're all crooks. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so like, and nothing ever really changes. It's all like this big distraction mechanism because the people that are really pulling the strings, we don't even know their names. Right. You know, and I feel like they finally found the perfect distraction mechanism. <laughs> like, this guy's more than happy to distract, but, like, I don't see him being any more dangerous than anybody that came before. Right. Or right. after. But now, on the burn, you know, I I travel Europe extensively. I've seen the benefits. I don't consider myself a socialist. I'm probably an anarchist. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> I've seen the I have seen and directly benefited and experienced the benefits of socialist healthcare. My wife and I were in Belgium on vacation once and our, our baby came down Rosiala, like two in the morning. We're staying at this Airbnb. I call the lady we're renting from just to see if she had a thermometer in the house, you know, because like my, my nine month old son was limp in my arms, like God scared the damn. shit out of me, you know. And this woman, maybe 12 minutes later, was downstairs with her car. It took us to a hospital. Mm. We walked in the hospital, and within four minutes, we're in a room, not with a nurse, not with somebody filling out our insurance paperwork, with a doctor. Yeah. In four minutes, we're looking at a doctor at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. Here, it would take you hours. Treated the kid. Everything was fine. <laughs> took care of it, yada, yada, yada. Alleviated our stress and anxiety. I think it was $14. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe maybe there's something to this whole not benefiting <laughs> off the suffering of your country's citizens. Wow. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, exactly. But my question to y'all is, if I'm going to vote for Byrne, why wouldn't I just pack my family up, move to Spain, and and get the benefits of a real socialist economy in a country with an uprising fascist movement? You know what I mean? Or as opposed to, like, wait around for this guy to die in office before he actually makes any difference. And then we were stuck with Warren anyway. Right. You know, or whoever gets the, the... the sycophantic coattail VP nod at that point. I don't right. know. Um, so the question is, why not just, just tell move? me what's the fucking point in a broken <laughs> system to, to think any of this shit's going to make a difference? Uh, my, my guess, my answer would be sort of actually what you said earlier about the music industry. It's like you change what you can affect. And I feel like 
exiting the system. It's it's sort of like well, you're, brother, you're I tried saying. to to the extent of probably destroying my career. I tried to make a difference, change things. I didn't do shit. <laughs> All well, I gave but, them was a perfect marketing plan to sell their own fucking people. You know what I mean? Right. Anybody who's followed our show will be listening to this and noting the irony of me trying to convince Start to yeah. the film the burn. Yeah, because I personally feel, have felt this many times before. It's like the system is so fundamentally broken that um, I think we need to start over. I do too. Yeah, yeah. I do the too. whole idea of having this one dude that resides in office and yeah. well, it's all an illusion and a farce, first of all, but like, you know, the Senate doesn't represent us. No. no Mitch McConnell yeah. certainly does not represent the people, the people of America. He represents his fucking rich friends right. and his buddies in Louisville. He's never done shit for Eastern Kentucky not fucking and never will, except bring what? A fucking aluminum plant? Yeah. Ran, ran by the most human rights violating country on the planet. Right. So they're going to invent like new forms of lung cancer to give to hillbillies, I guess, is the whole. Uh, That's their fight. They've destroyed trick. the water and the soil. Let's fuck the air up, too, and That's give right. everybody Alzheimer's. I don't I just don't at this point, man. It like numbs my head. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that like um, it's like you were saying, it's funny, like all the things that you were just saying, I think apply to all of this now, like. You can only change what you can affect. Like you have to change the world. You have to enter. You have to find a place to enter into the stream of history. And for me personally, I guess that's Bernie. Now I don't. I'm under no illusions that it will change everything. I'm under no illusions that it'll turn everything around or fix a fundamentally broken system. But I do I, like his style, though. I do like his style. I love. Yeah. There's no gray area with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. You know exactly what he's feeling and thinking, that's and right. that to me is refreshing in a politician. You knew it in 1979. Yeah, and right. 1962. It is consistent. <laughs> well, and I think that also the thing is the important thing for me is that his campaign is harnessing a a large movement, a, a sort of large mass of energy that I've not seen. Um, sort of harnessed in politics in a while. Well, so did Obama. Well, so did Obama. That's exactly right. That was right. a huge letdown. It was a yeah. huge letdown. I mean, I gave me eight thousand dollars for my wife and my buy our first house. That was awesome. But right, uh, right. you know, he spent four years cleaning up Rumsfeld's mess. But I didn't really see all the hope come oh, yeah. to fruition that we well, all were promised. My, my response to that, and it, this is what I think. I think that like, and look what it led to. Uh, it led to Trump. In many ways, because he didn't he didn't prosecute the banks, he didn't end the wars, didn't do any of that. So I think that's why we've got Trump. But I think that like, I think that so much has happened in the last twelve years since Obama that it for me personally, I don't know if we could be able to replicate Obama again. I, again, I could be making a huge error and putting my faith in this guy. He could be lying to all of us. He could get in there and be like, "All right, well, we're going to do everything like Obama." I don't think he's lying. I just think he's a very idealistic old man. Right. I don't, you know, no matter who gets in there, they they soon learn, like, they have no power. Right. And everybody has to kiss the ring. Have you ever met any other idealistic old man? I feel like they usually go in the opposite direction. The older uh, you get, the I'm less an, I'm idealistic. An, I'm a pretty idealistic <laughs> old man. No, I'm a cynic. I'm totally cynic. Um, idealistic old man. I don't know many old men with wisdom that are idealistic. Exactly. So there's something to it. Well, I guess with idealistic. So when you say they have to kiss the ring, whose ring would it be? I guess the banks, the corporations, the corporations uh, you know, the, petroleum, big the pharma, the the string pullers, right, right? The ones that that directly benefit from maintaining the hegemonic structure known as the United States of America. Right, right, right. Well, do you think though that it's possible that people? Uh, I mean, we're an empire at this point. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. We're empirical. Let's yeah. say, for example, though, 
the people who were working at the railroad that you were working at. Let's also say for an em- example, also an empire. But let's say they a became, monopoly. Even let's say they became politicized <laughs> to the point to where they were like, "Well, we want to change this too. Let's shut the fucking railroad down. Let's shut down commerce. Let's grind the 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 syst- like the gears of the system to a halt." Because, you know, in the conventional thinking, then like once you've ground the system to a halt, then the people in power actually have to listen to what you're saying. And in fact, it no, can actually go no. quickly What the they'll other do way. is they'll kick you off your own yard and hire scabs <laughs> to come in and run their fucking trains. They will do that. Because somebody's always going to need that money. But if I that's the case, that Sturgill, then why do anything? You know what I mean? Like, then there well, would be no uh, point doing anything. We're going to need a few more hours <laughs> if you want to have that conversation. <laughs> I did part two. Uh, I do not have that answer. I, I'm struggling with it a bit myself, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I think is interesting, particularly... And it kind of mirrors the railroad thing too. Is like people where we came from, all of our forebears, what were they were doing? They were See, digging the coal. True. I was that just was say, go ahead. That was power in this country. That was building places like Chicago and New York and all these places. Then they get left in the dust. But at one point, what did they have? They had labor power because they would go on strike and we would tank China's economy. We had unreasonable power that doesn't exist anymore. And there were real repercussions to that in Eastern Kentucky in the seventies when the unions would strike. Well, totally. And they bring scabs in. The union guys whose jobs gets taken were hiding out in the tree line with shotguns, blowing the scabs' fucking guts out <laughs> yeah. on the Especially, bulldozer that they were driving yesterday. Yeah. And that, that gets people to pay attention. That gets people to pay attention. Yeah. Breath of the County, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody talks about bloody Harlan. Nobody talks about bloody breath. Very, very bloody <laughs> breath, though. <clears throat> no, that's true. That's true. It's just, I think... That's uh, one way to get a raise. I yeah. Mean. <laughs> yeah. I just think that... Um, yeah, I don't know. My point, I guess, is just that, like, you know, this country owes, like people like where we're from a great deal and oftentimes treats us like oh well what have you done for me lately Off, you, did, you didn't vote the, the right way yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah well you know yeah they owe the people of this, they owe the people of this country all over this country a great deal uh-huh. yeah. and now we're serving them yeah. for yeah. you're lucky you know I, I i don't know man i've worked every odd job known to man literally in my life i've done some shit work that I can't even believe I did just out of some of it was just for the sake of the experience. You know, I worked yeah. on a shrimp boat once cause I wanted to, you know, uh, <laughs> watch Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I got out of the Navy. I was kind of crazy and wanted to be on the water. And Isn't but, that one of the most dangerous jobs. It's not, it can be, it's shit work. You get like staph infections and it's just, there. don't, if you ever, if you ever see a living shrimp, you'll never eat shrimp again as long as you live. Um, did they get staph infections? You can, you have to wear gloves. If you handle them, get your hands cut. Yeah. There's a lot of brine. It's just, they're disgusting creatures. Uh, But like, yeah, you know, people out there have to go wake up and do shit. Most people don't want to imagine. I'm very fortunate. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. I got real lucky, you know, uh, I can't even comprehend it some days mm-hmm. how how much my life changed in one check yeah uh, my wife's life my mother's life you know and and it's, it's you struggle with it because like you don't want to be the Nissan commercial song guy and I haven't been but those are hard decisions when they, they offer you more money than my grandfather ever made in his life for 45 seconds of some jingle you know what I mean yeah but you have to you got to wake up and look at yourself how do you have that discipline to do that? Because uh, how how much do you need, man? Like I, I'm, you know, I I don't need that. That's the uh, 
That's the campaign line for Bernie. How much do you really need? How much, how much do you really need? <laughs> That's why I was bringing this back to I don't, And then it goes back to my world, you know, in the mainstream country world. There's, there's guys that, for all intents and purposes, have the talent and ability to make some of the most beautiful traditional country music yeah. you've ever heard. And they, but they keep pumping out formulaic horse shit to sustain a lifestyle or to, I don't know, maybe it's to pay the people that they're now responsible for when they're giant cruise. I don't know, but like how much do you need? Yeah. 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 You know, how much do you need to where when 50 people get shot to death at a music festival and your, your string pullers tell you, you're not allowed to answer questions about gun control. Yeah. That everybody's too afraid to say shit. Yeah. You got 45 million fucking dollars in the bed. What are you scared of, man? Right. Truly. Yeah. But we talk a lot about how what a what a Bernie um, country could look like, and you know, people with forty five million dollars in the bag. It's hard to even imagine what that is. They have a lot more to lose than we do. Oh, don't ever give me forty five million dollars, man! <laughs> I'll hire somebody to breathe for me. Until, I swear to God, <laughs> man, that's a lot to lose. You lose your mind quick. Yeah. Oh, well, that's part of it too. It, it is a very. Um, it's a toxic industry and it, it does toxic things to you and it if you let it you start buying into all that manufactured horse shit yourself mm-hmm. and that's where it gets slippery now it's not just about creation which is the true gift of the job the opportunity in itself is like you're getting to make things that maybe cheer people up that have to go to work and do shitty jobs every day or you know um so I, if you're asking me how you maintain the discipline, I just always remind myself it's not as much as they all want you to believe it's about you. Yeah. It's not about you. And there's been times where I've even forgotten that you have to have a healthy ego to even want to do this. You know, you have to be a little fucking crazy to want to do this job. And it's a slippery slope, man. You can get caught up, you know, and like, yeah, that's why I'm not on social media because I see so many people that uh, are contemporaries or what have you they 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 they, 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 they beat this mentality into like you have to constantly tread water or you're going to drown yeah. and you're only as good as your last record and you got to stay visible and relevant so you see people out there like pandering all over fucking social media for like running for mayor of enlightenment and shit yeah. or beating their chest <laughs> beating their chest telling everybody how feminist they are and you know it's just right. like you, know, you got to fit these media narratives that we're all supposed to like be the definitive horse shit of our generation yeah. you know what i mean and uh at a certain point probably about three years ago i just realized it's all a fucking racket and they're and even the good people and a lot of them are good people man they but they're they're parasites yeah and the amount of mental gymnastics that they have to do to sleep at night will make you exhausted and then you just sort of like i just decided i'm not gonna do this part of it anymore and if i sell two hundred thousand less records oh well like my family's okay yeah yeah you know um if i want to make a rock and roll record completely isolate my entire fan base because that's what me and my band wanted to do when we went to the studio i love that fucking shit so much uh but you know we're music geeks man that wasn't like i did have to process a lot of anger and and clarity yeah but like I also grew up on rock and roll and I'm playing in a band with a lot of great rock and roll musicians so like let's make a rock and roll record and then when we're done with that I'll go to Japan and get all these brilliant motherfuckers to make some crazy porno cartoon and that's just so good 
You know, because why not, man? We're going to die, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Though, let me ask you a question. I don't know if this, and this could be my own projection onto your work, but, you know, you've got that line on the new record that's like, you know, truth's been shrouded. I think it's time to switch up the sound. Mm-hmm. Does that come out of, because I've always been curious if I ever had you don't want you don't want to You don't want to peek behind the curtain, man. <laughs> just a little bit. I, I said everything on that record I don't want to sit and talk about in interviews because oh, it'll yeah. just get twisted out of context or like Rolling Stone will, you know. Sturgill farted today, or whatever. Right. You, know. you think they'll listen to this, Rollins? I don't know who. I don't know. I don't know who listens to what or anything anymore. Um, Maniacs listen to this. So yeah, like we, you know, we spent this. We made this record. We made this movie. But then, and I believe in it. I love it. But I didn't promote it. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't do eight thousand interviews. I didn't play a single late night TV show because that's all the game. That's right. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you, you have, you, you have no time. control. Yeah. No control. If I go on TV, like, yeah, everybody's going to see it, but I don't get to say what the mix sounds like, so I'm compromising my art. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you have to do that a lot for Meta Modern? Oh, I did it all. Yeah. I did so much shit that I didn't even know what I was doing or why anymore. And at a certain point, it's, you're not, you're not, it's not promoting the art. You're, you're selling magazines, man. You're, you're now you're, cause now you're, now you're a product. And now you're now you sell advertising space, and every time you fart, they write about it because people click on it. You know what I mean? Right. I just don't. I didn't want to be that anymore. Yeah, that, that was that was sort of the base side to that question. Not to even get into to, to the lyrics, but you know, I think that like the sort of milieu that like writers and whoever else puts, you know, you and Jason Isbell and now Tyler and Chris Stapleton, yeah. like the saving country music guys. I was curious if that had something to do. That lyric had something to do with you not wanting to carry that mantle necessarily anymore uh, it's not about what not want to it's just like why should anybody have to yeah, yeah. we're just making records man we're not we making don't have any fucking answers right we're not uh the definitive this or that you know there's going to be a new flavor next month because right. the business it, they they exist off new flavors and they know thirsty bitches are coming in every day that'll bend over backwards and do whatever they say yeah. to have that opportunity um but to me it's just about Clarity, seeing things clearly is what that record's about to me and regaining control of myself as a person and my own identity instead of uh, being marketed as this idea of something because that's how you end up looking at rooms full of people you don't really relate to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know what that feels like too or yeah. did for a while. And it's just, it makes you wonder what you did wrong. Yeah. 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 You start to wonder if there's something innate in you that resulted in this and yeah yeah these yeah because ah, i deal with and this. like and we like i said a... it, you know the, it's an industry and it provides jobs and 99 percent of the people are good people yeah they're just doing a job and the job is the job but at the end of the day ultimately they don't believe in anything right they except getting paid getting paid right because that's what we're all here for right that's right <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to figure that part out <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it makes me wonder though. Like, um, when you okay, let's let's rewind time, go back to the railroad yards, or even stocking groceries. Well, see, where I screwed up is thinking. Well, I moved to Nashville. I thought I wanted to be a songwriter. Yeah, okay, that's why when I, was I quit ask. the job, I was like, all right. Well, I like writing songs. I've always sat on the couch and played guitar and wrote songs. I want to write songs and see if I can get paid for that. And I moved to Nashville out of naivety, thinking that that was something I could realistically stomach, because I didn't know what writing songs in Nashville now really meant until I got here as a 35-year-old man 
and looked around and you see the writing on the wall and you you, you see what that means now. <laughs> now. I'd rather go die in a train wreck right. than do that. Sitting in a cubicle with eight other people like writing literal horse shit dribble. Right. Feeding the formula. And uh, I was like, well, all right, I don't want to do that. I've got all these songs. I guess I'll try to record them and make a record and, you know, what yada, yada, yada. So you kick around the can. Uh, my, my former manager, he was a good dude. Uh, he was the only one that really wrote me back. Um, and that, you know, he, he actually was like one of the good ones. We just reached a point where I was creating my own opportunities. I didn't really need a manager anymore. And, uh, and you realize well, Nashville is not going to be any help. So we just got busy playing shows and touring. And then, like I said, every other town in the United States, that, that would be my advice not to, to answer. We're talking about the, the Apple shop. My advice to anybody coming to Nashville is don't come to Nashville. Just get a van and start playing everywhere else. Right. Because you're not going to get paid to play here. And everybody, everybody, and there's only like 30 players. They're all going to show up and decide whether your star is bright and shiny enough for them. And if they decide no, then you're just going to end up spinning your wheels here for five years for nothing when you should have been playing everywhere else. Yeah. And that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. You need a lawyer and you need a good booking agent you can trust. You don't really need anything else anymore. Right. We um, played our second show here. <laughs> the, same, the same people showed up and they are like, um, are y'all hard up for money or something <laughs> like this? <laughs> a, good public, a, a good publicist helps. But, and I had, I had a really good one from Metamodern. And, uh, and they, they, the visibility's there. Like for High Top Mountain, my first record, I did not really have any money. Because I, I recorded it, I took a loan out just went out and played shows but i didn't have any pr and what i learned is if you don't have a publicist nobody's going to write about it because you're you're feeding the racket right the publicist hand it to the, the outlets they decide this is something we're going to blow up and generate content for and yada 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 well i met a modern that's what happened so people knew i wrote a song about turtles and drugs right <laughs> um and then you play late night tv but like these are all gatekeepers again you know you gotta, you gotta, you gotta feed the monkey, or you don't eat. But then a certain, after a certain while, I realized, like, well, now I'm a monkey, so I'll eat the bananas. Yeah, which are very nutritional, <laughs> but can give you heartburn. Right. <laughs> Speaking of monkeys, I, I watched Head for the first time after I watched. Oh, after man. I heard you, uh, you watched Head. Uh, it, yeah, it's. It, <laughs> I, was, I was, I was actually talking to Ashley about it. And she's like, "You gotta see that fucking shit, dude. That's it just is, trippy, man. It's so fucking good." It's so fucking People good. sell the monkeys short. I love the monkeys. The band we're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're kind of like Kiss in a way where they like, you know, like you start out as a fake band and then you become a real band. Yeah. And then the, the post where it takes hold, you become a real fan. Uh, man. I what was your, you had a question, something oh, about the blogs and the, and the, if that's what, no man, really it's just, I learned I, I'm, I have to turn off everybody else's expectations. Yeah. To do my job, I can't I can't serve anyone other yeah. than my own muse. Um, you said saving country music. That guy, he, he well, well, not specifically that uh, blog, but I'm just saying like that. You know, they talk about y'all like, oh, this is like Sturgill Simpson makes you know the real stuff, and Jason Isbell makes. Well, the everybody stuff. has their own identity right. and their own uniform they have to subscribe to. And yeah. as soon as you step out of their understanding of what they think you are, yeah, now you've betrayed them. Like Kyle at Saving Country Music, he's literally the first person that ever wrote about me. Yeah. You know, he's always been yeah. supportive. Yeah. But then at a certain point, you got to stop calling yourself a journalist and realize you're just like a butthurt, obsessed fanboy. <laughs> and I'm not going to make Metamodern 15 times. And, right, right. And, Nobody would want and, that. And if I make another country music album, then he'll be my biggest supporter again. But right. until I until I do what he expects from me, my records suck. 
He's, he's you know what I mean? Why do people need there to be like this I don't know. alternative country? I don't know. You know, because they're hipsters. Yeah, and that's their brand of hipster. <laughs> that's right. That is true. I, I'm a hipster because I don't wear cowboy boots. But like to me, there's uh, you know everybody has their uniform, man, and their in their realm of understanding. Do you think it has to do somewhat with? We've talked a lot about about this on the show. That in the last 10 or 15 years or so, there's kind of been this, like, revival of the South in terms of, like, aesthetics and, like, as a commodity itself. Oh, yeah. Do you think it's tied into Y'all that? culture. Yeah. It's so we hot it, now. We y'all call it y'all stars. culture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bacon got hot and then, uh, like, artisanal ketchup. And, but now, like, everything's just so Southern. You know, there's, like... I don't know. What's fucking weird, man? Yeah. Well, you go you go to that new outdoor mall they built in Lexington, and even the trash can say "trash," y'all. Everybody's like wearing these like Michael Landon hats, like I don't like the Pilgrim hats and shit. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I, I'm still dressing the same way I did 20 years ago. I mean, just because I stand up with a guitar and sound like a hillbilly when I talk, I guess I'm supposed to put a fucking Halloween costume. I don't know. Right. But somebody needs to explain that shit to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember they used to talk about you wearing sneakers and stuff. Yeah, I'm comfortable. I had to wear boots in the Navy. I had to wear boots on the railroad. Them shits hurt your back. Yeah. I'm not going to stand on stage for two, three hours a night hurting my back. Yeah. Right. I want to be comfortable. You know, especially now I got money. I'm going to be comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you've met a new type of fan? With oh, my God. We're all over the place now, man. Uh, I mean, Sailor's Guide, really, I saw. And that, to me, is awesome. When I look out and I can see like 14 or 15 different subtexts of society all staring back. Like that, just, that to me is like uh, Willie Nelson is a hero of mine. And like he brought the rednecks and the hippies together in Austin because somebody needed to. Yeah. You know, there's so much division and like divide and conquer mentality now, um, which I contributed to, I guess, in a way with that CMA protest. Somebody asked me what I thought about Donald Trump. I told him. What they didn't ask me was, what do you think about all politicians? Yeah. You know, so <laughs> now you're like a leftist, progressive, uh-huh. fucking, extre- you know, I just wish they'd burn the whole thing down. But, um, wow. but like to, to look out and see rednecks and frat boys and punk rockers and, and gays and, and black people. And just, I mean, that to me is like, I don't know how this happened, but I'm going to take it. Because as long as everybody's here to party and have a good time, who gives a fuck? You know, like, yeah. why do I need to be told where I belong? I got a theory about that. Go ahead. That cracked out synth. Oh, dude. God damn. That's the, that's the, that's the through line, man. Everybody loves that shit. <laughs> well, Bobby, I mean, Bobby, my keys player, he's a bona fide genius. I mean, like, yeah. no question. Musical, uh, engineer, he, the guy's on the, he's on the spectrum. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to make a rock and roll record, but what I also knew is I didn't want every song to have some wanking fucking guitar solo on it because that shit hasn't been cool in 30 years. Yeah. We'll play a little guitar, but this is definitely not going to be like a Van Halen record. Right. Um, But like, I love the cars. I love Dr. Dre. I love ELO, you know, all these things. Uh, Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. There's a a Moog synthesizer on that record. Everybody talks about how primitive and acoustic again sorry bitch there's there's a synth on there yeah. Um, yeah. the beatles had moogs all over the place um so yeah we had a really good one we had a really good old i think it's a 72 mini moog model d and it just he was just getting these cool sounds with it and there's one record in particular i was like i want a moog solo and we dialed it in and we triple layered it and put all these octaves on it it was just this big thick ass crispy fucking laser beam and i was like that's it that's, that's the, the sound man like we're gonna put this shit all over this thing to the point, like, I want to see music critics hate this record because they can't understand what the fuck we were thinking, you know? But we were having fun. We were watching samurai movies on the on the wall on mute. 
in this tiny little shitty hotel in Detroit and just locked in this thing for two weeks, just like being geeks with nobody there to say, what in the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's just so good. And it was fun, man. We had a great time. Now we're going to go do it live. It's like 52 nights. And by the end of the tour, I'm going to wish we could record the record now mm. because we're going to figure out all the things you just don't process yeah. when you're in the moment. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and it, surprisingly, I, I, a, little, a little bit was trying to destroy my career. I'm like, I'm totally at a point where I'm ready. I probably got another, this tour for sure. We'll see how it goes. But like, I'm ready to, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I'm I'm ready to go home and be a dad. Yeah. Because I have enough. Yeah. And I don't know why I need to subject myself publicly to anything else anymore. Yeah. Well, probably, probably keep making records, but um, uh, as a father of three young boys and a wife I love very much, I kind of want to wake them up, up in my bed. Yeah. But yeah. you owe the fans to go out and, and rock balls, and that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. You do. You, I feel like you uh, handle your fans with a lot of love, even when they're wild. Tom and I. Oh, you got. I mean, I just want to be a dude, man. <laughs> I, anybody, if you walk up to me and treat me like a dude, I will literally talk to you all day long. Well, but if it's that like weird gerbil-eyed idolatry thing, and like oh, yeah. the handshake lasts a little too long, I'm probably gonna try to get the fuck away from you, man. Cause, like, <laughs> well, Tom and I saw you in Northern Kentucky years ago and a fight broke out right in front of the stage and you had to stop the band and yeah. say boy we had, we, had a, we had a problem with that for a while <laughs> we're just here to have a good time we're literally up here like singing love songs and like dudes are fighting <laughs> each other like, what is really going on that's the state of america yeah, right now, I, I could draw a through line to that for sure i would love to hear your theory <laughs> I, I mean i have I, my own yeah i think i think me they're in lonely. particular yeah they're lonely because they uh, they're not cultured they're not cultured well, to love my wife to feel love my wife says uh because i'm a fairly masculine dude i guess i don't know i mean i'm a sensitive guy but like <laughs> you know again you're this you're marketed People are marketed an, an idea of who you are. And I'm like, I've got this deep voice. I'm a big manly truck driving Bronco guy. You know what I mean? It's like you get a lot of that. But the music is so inherently emotional and, and personal that, like, you're you're arising all these undercurrents of feelings that manly men maybe don't normally want to, like, deal right, with. You know what I mean? Problem, and then, and they get a few beers in them and uh-huh. start thinking about that girl from a year ago that dumped them. <laughs> And then they look over at Flannel Joe and they're like, I'm going to beat your ass, man. (laughs) Making me feel this way. Or or maybe they look at Flannel Joe and feel other things they don't understand and they just want to process it. That makes them angry. Yeah, that makes them angry. I've seen some of that too. I'm like, man, you're looking at me the same way your girlfriend is. (laughs) Yeah. Totally natural. Totally natural. Right. But you got to be honest, you know. Well, are you going to um, hit up Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area on uh, the tour? I, you, I went there on my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> I went there on, and then we loved it so fucking much, we went back on our five-year anniversary. I, I got a story. I love Gatlinburg, first of all. Me my, too. My, my grandparents, and my papa had a trailer on Watts Bar Lake and, uh. and, uh, just outside of Knoxville, Blue Springs Marina. And so we would go to Gatlinburg a lot in the summertime, Pigeon Forge, ride the go-karts, hillbilly golf, all that shit. So when my wife and I got married, I was still working at a grocery store. We didn't have any money, and we weren't going to do anything at all. We were driving. We got married in Versailles, Kentucky, and we were driving back to Nashville. We were already living there. I was like, fuck this, man. I'm not going to marry this woman and not take her on a honeymoon. And we had like $312 or something, literally. 
So we went to Gatlinburg. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. I had long hair at the time and probably was wearing like some big old stupid Elvis sunglasses or something. And uh, we're walking around in Gatlinburg. Now, you know, I was just crushing that deep fried Oreo. <laughs> and, uh, and we passed this, this couple and this dude was dressed head to toe in real tree camo. I mean, how'd you even see him? Uh, well, exactly. <laughs> and, and he had a, he had a, a shit you not, man. He had the most bitchin' mullet I've ever seen. <laughs> and when they walked by, he, he looked at me, and he turned to his wife, and I'll never forget this line. He goes, man, there's a bunch of goddamn weirdos around here. <laughs> and said, well, my wife, we, we died laughing, man. Oh, my God. I love Gatlinburg. Oh, God, I yeah, took my kid there too. as soon as he was old enough to ride him when, and with the two-seater go-karts. Oh, love and it. we went to every, one, every single go-kart place up and down the strip. Oh, it's so good. Uh, before we get too far down the road, we had a little Pigeon Forge item we mm-hmm. stuck a pin in. Yeah, but that's why I brought one, it up. One Mr. West, comma Kanye. <laughs> oh. Bringing Sunday service to Pigeon Forge. You want to know my Kanye theory? You had a yeah. Kanye okay. theory, start. All right, here's my theory. Kanye, well, he's a, he's a marketing genius. I'll give him that. And he used to be a musical genius. Kind of lost me after Yeezy, but I think he's running for president. I think he's really. Like real. I think he's really running for president. <laughs> yeah. So he knows he's going to get all the like the Coachella vote. Yeah. So right. now he's like, how can I get the right wing vote? Mm. Yeah. You know, I'll start a church and and go around with this MAGA hat and like build the constituency. That's actually. Hey. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think anything that man does is an accident. I think he knows how to use his illusion, much like Axl Rose. Yeah. And it's all, uh, it's and it's frightening how much we pay attention. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. And, I, and feed right into the cult of personality. But like he knows what he's doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I've gone all over the place trying to figure him out, but <laughs> nobody's that crazy. <laughs> Trust me, <I've, laughs> I might be. <laughs> but you do wonder how much of it is like his own self awareness of celebrity, and how much of it is a commentary on celebrity. And itself. I'll say this: I have the same birthday as him. Really? So I'm probably, I don't know, going to go fucking nuts too. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, in case you've ever hated on his footwear design, don't ever try a pair of Yeezys on because you will buy that shit because they are literally <laughs> the most comfortable shoes you will ever put on your feet as long as you live. I got drugged to a shoe store in New York City by John Caramonic, who's a pop writer in the New York Times because he found out me and Kanye had the same birthday. I was like, I'm not buying these fucking shoes, man. You're out of your mind. He's like, well, just come look at them. Just come look at them. <laughs> we go in there, try this shit. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> sure as hell, walks out with some Yeezys. And then, then he put the MAGA hat on, and I had to throw a, a $700 pair of shoes away just out of sheer Ooh. fucking principle. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a MAGA hat. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> what's your favorite? I, or go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. And I was going to say, what's your favorite Kanye album? Oh, man. I think Yeezy's probably the most punk rock record in the last 30 years. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities between Yeezy and your most recent album, <laughs> in some ways. A lot of synth-heavy That buzzsaw synth that, that he opens up with. I love that fucking shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. No, I, th- I, know, I, th- I, think he's re- I think he is an artist, an absolute brilliant artist. I do believe that. Uh, but I don't know what he's saying anymore with his art. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. What was the name of the New York Times writer you were with? John Carmonica. Yeah, John Carmonica. Do it. 
Yeah, he's Twitter and stuff. You've, oh. read, you've read his stuff. For well, sure. I, I, I've read I've read website. two of the things he wrote about you. Um, like, uh, did you oh, go to Jackson? I took John Caramano to the Jackson. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> yeah. you yeah. talked with him at uh, Jackson in a race car. <laughs> I, got, I get I get fast and furious. I bought this this Subaru STI and tuned it all to fuck man. It's like throwing oh five fifty horsepower to the wheels. It doesn't have the spoiler on it. It's kind of sleeper. But I, I watched Cannonball Run when I was a kid way too yeah. many times, and the two Japanese guys in the Subaru. Yeah, like to me. Uh, also all-wheel drive and a separate front and rear differential so I can manually throw power to the front or back wheels depending and a turn. So basically I can slingshot your ass till you About shit your sound. pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Kurt Russell said in Dread Death Proof, you really need to be sitting in my seat. You know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, I'll take you to Jackson, man. And we tore ass down Mountain Parkway. Um, I mean – yeah, some top some top speed shit. Well, I took him up high top mountain where the old family graveyard is, which is literally like a winding gravel coal road with a yeah. fucking sheer drop on on one side. And we got on it, man. We straightened some curves, and he's sitting over acting like he was cool with it. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> my, my cousin Brad's in the back. He knew I knew the road, so he's just like, "This thing's fucking awesome, man." Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, John, I, he he a little bit might have came out. He's a good sport about it. Though. Yeah, I took him to Popeyes on the way home to make up for it. That's. I was gonna say, did he get a nap in on your mamma's couch? No, well, she doesn't live there anymore. She, oh. uh, my grandfather died, so I, I bought. Well, before he died, I bought them a house in Lexington so they could be closer to my mom so she could take care of them and then papa passed uh so yeah the only family i got left in jackson now is my uncle and, and some cousins uh-huh. this thing is hilarious you gave him the new york times reporter treatment <laughs> he strapped him in well, he a- said he wanted he want to see where you're from i said okay man i'd love to and we went to the white flash and uh oh, hell yeah. drove all white over flash, all over yeah. jackson for like seven hours and then and then did like 148 back Back down in Nashville. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Like, I think the first thing of his I wrote about you was in 2013 where you were playing in New York City. And so it's like... Yeah, that's right. That bracket of time from that that first article in 2013 and then till now, I think this most recent one was in September. That article was still in the, like, very much in the questioning life decision days. Yeah. Because I was 30, 2014, so I would have been 36... Yeah, thirty six years old, which you know, also maybe has been. You ask how you maintain that discipline coming into this game as a very cynical, jaded thirty six year old, and not some thirsty bitch nineteen year old yeah. who's been doing this shit. This is all you've been doing your whole life. Yeah, like I can identify those people pretty much right off. That like we are never going to have anything in common because like this is all they know yeah. is chasing attention and irrelevance. Yeah, and I I'm slowly working towards embracing my relevance like there will come a day where i will disappear like david copperfield none of you motherfuckers will ever see or hear from me again (laughs) (laughs) i've already started you know yeah yeah that's uh gosh yeah you should you should do like a honestly do do like an andy kaufman type thing just just how do you know i'm not doing one now (laughs) i mean honestly i kind of did yeah uh, when I did, when I met a modern came out, I literally had to talk to everybody because uh-huh. this is what you do. You're trying to build awareness and sell product and feed your kids. And you talk to everybody and every journalist I sit down with, every single one of them wanted me to talk shit about music row. Mm. And at the time I was just like, I had no need or want, or I didn't know anything about it, you know, but they wanted to, because I'm, my music sounded so different. They needed this poster boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you realize, like, at a certain point, 
you're sitting down with these people for two hours and the whole conversation is literally just so they can grab two or three sentences to fill in the blanks on this piece they've already written or their editors already told them what it's going to be about and they turn you into this fucking poster boy yeah and i realized well there is no controlling the narrative you're you're just providing sound bites for their narrative and so when it came time to do sailor's guide i realized well all right all i ever really wanted was to be recognized and maybe shown a little bit of respect from country music since i love it so much and they made it very clear that that was never going to happen and that i did not belong in that world so much to the point even people on my team were telling me oh you don't belong there well, it's like, who the fuck is anybody to say who deserves to hear our music and who doesn't? Or, like, where Margot Price is allowed to go play or be heard or what platform? You know what I mean? Like, the whole yeah. thing to me is like, oh, so this is just, there's less fucking politics in politics. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if they're going to they're gonna make me that guy, then I'll just fucking be that guy. Because there's money to be made there, too. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I did. I just started taking pisses and, and, and shitting every time I opened my mouth, really out of self-amusement. But I got bored with that so fast that it was like, well, shit, I, why did I even do that? Because now you're like, you're part of the fucking thing, you know? Um, so I just stopped talking altogether. Do you think you could ever stop playing music, though? I mean, I'll always say- play music, man. I played, I played music my whole life. Before yeah. I did it for a living, I played music because I had to. Yeah. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel better. It makes me not feel pain. It makes me not feel depressed. Like, you know, for for all the good and bad, as cliche as it sounds, I'm a fucking artist. I don't want to be an entertainer. I'll never be an entertainer. I'm an artist because I don't know what else to be. All I know is what I feel. Luckily, I found one woman in the world that's able to put up with it. And not only put up with it, understand it and help me understand it better. Um, But, like, yeah, like I said, if I disappear tomorrow, I'm still going to be sitting on my porch playing music from and whether i go to these arenas and play these shows whether 10 people or 10,000 people show up it's going to be the same show because i'm fucking playing for me yeah so much to the point some journalists think i don't i don't connect with the audience anymore well motherfucker i'm lost in my head i'm trying to find my bliss yeah you know what i mean uh, and if people enjoy it great if they don't they won't be back right but you know that's okay too i, I like theaters and small rooms more anyway well, if you succeed in tanking your career, come to Whitesburg. We come have, back. Sunday. I'll come back. I'll come yeah. back. Yeah, we Either have theaters way. and small rooms. I'll come back and play Whitesburg tomorrow. Do you it. promise? I swear to God, those two gigs, we had a great time down there. I didn't wait We saw. I saw. I think y'all that's, were talking about. That's this where I spent ten years playing in rooms like that. Yeah. You know, this shit's all new to me, man. Um, and no, I don't think anybody deserves this kind of attention or idolatry or adulation. I'm not even like famous, you know, I'm like a G level celebrity, you know I mean? I get some weird shit thrown my way sometimes, <laughs> but like to me, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and I'll go, I like the theaters. I really do. I'd rather be playing two or three nights in the same town in one beautiful room where I can connect. And that's just being honest. I don't mean to sound ungrateful at no, all. I, I don't. That's just the reality of it. Let me pitch you on that. Go ahead, Virgil. We we want to do this thing called Trillbilly Days. All right. Where at? And we want to do it at Jim Webb's property up oh, on Pine shit. Mountain. And it, we just thought we might just do a no frills, like come camp out. And we've been looking for a headliner, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I like, you can pay me in fried chicken. Yeah. Dope packs. We well, got that's plenty that's good packs. because that's all we got. Yeah, that's so. all we have to offer. <laughs> Well, and, it, and I want to. I want to. I want my own dune buggy. Okay. <laughs> hey, we actually can make that. Yeah, happen. we can get yeah, a dune buggy. Totally. And yeah. we will give you the nicest uh, 
uh, wind stream on the mountain. I have seen the wind stream. I'm not a complete idiot. I will bring a bus. <laughs> I got I got social anxiety, man. There's going to come a point where I'll be like, all right, I love y'all, but I'm done here. I'm going to the cocoon. Uh, no, I mean, I, I seriously, like, we play these festivals, and I'm just like, who are these people that are paying all this money to come get a sunburn for four days, man? Because mm-hmm. it looks like hell out there. Totally. And I'm in, we're in a bus and air conditioned waiting to go play. Like, we got it easy, you know? But, like, if you're not, it looks like hell. You're breathing dust. I'm looking at all these, like, third-degree sunburns oh, and, like, dude. drinking $10 bottles of water. I'm just yeah. like, dude, Man, that's motherfucker. We went to Bonnaroo. This year, Kanye was there. Yeah, it, funny you mentioned Kanye. We went to Bonnaroo one year, but this year it was raining. We had to go for work. Trust me. I don't, don't yeah, it wasn't. A, we didn't elect. <laughs> but, it, like, I'll never forget this. Uh, me and Tom standing in uh, the middle of a muddy road, you know, rain pouring, mm-hmm. water everywhere, and then these people come up and, and they crowd everybody to the sides. They, they stop, they, nobody moves. Yeah, everybody they, to the you sides. Have to get to the sides of the road. So we all, cr- cr- you know, huddle up against the sides <laughs> of this road, and a big caravan starts coming through. And it's Kanye, and I think he was with Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian, right? Kanye, in a but, caravan of suburbans, black and it, suburbans. It was the most like feudal, medieval thing I've ever felt in my life. You know, you felt like a peasant. Like the peasants and, were being pushed aside. Yeah. yeah. And like the king <laughs> processed through. We did, I, there's, I can't remember what fest. It might have been Farm Aid. Who, John Mellencamp, when he played, yeah. like they closed the whole stage down. Like all the bands had to clear up. I'm just like, motherfucker, it ain't 1984. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think yeah. you are? He's like, a Bloomberg guy. He's seriously. a Bloomberg supporter. That's what we're saying. Like yeah. Michael Bloomberg's paying all these people to do like to shield for him and stuff. And it's like he has like the worst people around him because they're like, okay, who are the biggest influencers we can think of? And it's like, oh yeah, John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Let's wrote Mellencamp probably half a million dollar check to send a tweet. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. He has some good tunes, but I remember just being like, what the fuck is going on? Well, that went yeah. my mom. I wasn't going to go up and watch side stage anyway, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go back to my air-conditioned bus and play PlayStation or whatever you do. I don't know. Well, let me ask you this, Sturgill. Who who are you a fan of that people might be surprised to find out Sturgill Simpson's a fan of? Musically? Musically. Or, you know, film or anything else. Maybe... I don't want to say guilty pleasures because that sounds fucked up, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, well, music. I see. Well, most of the music I listen to either predates like 1978 and back. But like, I'm a big fan of uh, Frank Ocean. Yeah, I think he's a genius. Uh, I, I'm a I t- I'm a fan of people who do things that I don't know how to do. Yeah, or that I can't understand how they do them, or basically anybody that impresses me. If which is really hard because I'm a fucking asshole. And if it impresses me, I'm a fan. Um, God, you put me on the spot. Uh, God, well, any anybody that's willing to work in a film, just because it's such an arduous and crazy, brutal schedule, um, yeah. the directors they also have to be a little crazy and visionary if they're yeah. good at it. But musically, I think Angel Olsen's amazing. I think uh, Tame Impala is pretty badass. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I, we have I'm, all the same music taste. I'm, so, I'm sort of out of touch, to be honest. Because Steely Dan, you need to get into Steely Dan. I, I'm going to get back to you on that one. Um, <laughs> no, but like I was listening this morning. I was listening to on the way up. I got about a two hour drive. I don't live in Nashville anymore. Um, I listen to Jerry Rafferty, and I listen to Rod Stewart, and I listen to uh, some Whalers, and I listen to 461 Ocean Boulevard by Eric Clapton. Did, did you know that Bunny Whaler wrote the Electric Slide? <laughs> Really? I did not know Swear that. To are, God. You, are you serious? One hundred percent serious. That's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's probably wrong. There's a lot of wrong facts on. No, this that's show. A, that's a fact, and it's about it's about vibrators. 
I don't know. That, <laughs> I think that was debunked. That was debunked. Uh, yeah, we put it on the sex ed page, and someone was like, "This ain't right." We're like, "Okay, we're always the best consi- anyway. Always consider the source. <laughs> we're yeah, I mean, anyway. any, anybody that impresses me, I'm a fan of, even if it's like totally outside my wheelhouse. Which, to be honest, like I listen to just about everything except country. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like, know? like. Even well, I mean, I listen to the, the older stuff. And especially bluegrass music from uh, from like mid seventies World War Two era, but like I I listened to all that so much in my twenties and mid early twenties, absorbed it that at some point you just step away. Like I'm and I'm not trying to make records. That, I've said this before. Like you know I don't I don't want to make a Merle Haggard record because Merle already did it, mm-hmm. and I'm never going to do it as good as he did. I want right. to make Sturgill records, you know. Um, but I'll listen to fucking Goody Mob or whatever. Oh, like to, yeah. to get pumped up like a uh, Leaf Hound. If you want some good sleeper stoner rock from back in the day, man, look up some leaf hound shit. Well, I literally <laughs> Matt knows leaf. I've literally yeah. watched it rock like two, three people straight to sleep. I mean, the, <laughs> when, we, we, the not, name like leaf hound. I'm not gonna give him up. I won't sell you out. But uh, we hired a guitar tech, and his first day on the bus, we did this charity tour for my buddy Justin. He's a, he's a Green Beret combat medic. Lost his legs back in March, and um, we went out to raise a bunch of money for him and his brothers and their families, like guys that didn't make it back. Uh, and then we were getting ready for this arena tour, so we got new crew because now you got to have like forty fucking employees to go out and play these shows in these in these places. And I had this guitar tech who I love dearly, so I'm not going to say his name. Uh, we were jamming some Leaf Hound in the back of the bus. You know, it was a little foggy back there, and he was drinking some canned wine. And he came back and hit this big old tarantula boomstick, and we're, and we're listening to Freelance Theme. And I watch him standing there like he's standing up with his eyes closed, head banging because this shit's heavy as fuck. And slowly but surely, <laughs> just like on his like timber, man, he like face planted right down in the floor of the back lounge. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? And luckily, we had a Green Beret combat medic there. Right. And he just so calmly reaches down and like trakes him and does some kind of adrenaline spike thing to wake him up. And he kind of came out of it, which was even more traumatizing than witnessing the guy pass out. But uh, I watched Leafhound rock his ass straight to sleep, dude. All right. What about the last good, in my estimation, the last good era of country music, the 90s? What about some John Anderson, Tracy Lawrence? Yeah. John Anderson's a god. Absolutely. Uh, Keith Whitley. God bless him. Uh, Not from... mm. The night, well, see, I, I, again, I, I grew up, I, I didn't grow up there. I went to high school in this town, kind of like a 4-H farm town. In Woodford County? Right? Woodford County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and I, I, we first moved to Lexington from Jackson. I got made fun of for the way I talked. And then we moved to Woodford County. I got made fun of the way I talked. I was like, can y'all not hear yourselves? Like, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> you, you're literally driving tractors to school, man, you know? And uh, <laughs> it was weird. We had like a race war. They called school off one day because the, some kids wanted to wear a Confederate flag shirts and what the, the black students were wearing malcolm x shirts wow and it just got really weird and i was like where am i and uh fascinating yeah it was fascinating and what was the fuck was the point what were we talking about uh john anderson john anderson so yeah so when the 90s country thing took off you know i'm in like seventh eighth ninth grade and then there's all these people got really into like don't take the girl yeah. <laughs> you know and i was like what happened man like i believe if keith whitley hadn't died garth brooks would have never happened yeah. That's a theory I have, like because the I think the neo trad movement that Ricky and those guys started in the eighties wound its way in, and uh, John Anderson was a boss. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember vividly being five years old and standing on the front seat of my mom's car, like just screaming, swinging, <laughs> and, and, and black sheep, and, 
you know oh god what a badass and he still sounds as good as he ever did my buddy ferg just did yeah. a record with him with dan arbach and it's just like you will not believe how good he can sing yeah and um, my girlfriend just she loves john anderson she just told me that 90s shit no man i checked out i checked out i was listening to like john may on the blues breakers and and yeah. uh mississippi john heard at that point so i was just like right. this is hot garbage right. where you fall on joe diffie <laughs> Uh, on my face, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What does he sing? He's the, there's a jukebox. What's that song he has about? Uh, <clears throat> oh. Uh, oh, didn't he just like try to do the comeback with like a tractor rap thing or something? Yeah, like? he, oh he just God. played. No, wait, I don't know about I do that. know about Joe Diffie. Um, I used to say everyone that I saw on a, on a motorcycle was Joe Diffie. I don't know, man. Diffie. Look, everybody's got to get paid. <laughs> and all of it, whether you like it or not, it creates jobs. It feeds people. I try to find the positive in it all. I just wish that it was a fair playing ground and that some of this was based on artistic oh. merit or, uh, you know, everybody had the same chance of recognition as, say, the people that are kissing the ring. Mm-hmm. But it will never happen because it's a hegemonic structure. <laughs> Joe Diffie That's our takeaway today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, prop me up beside the jukebox. Oh, that was a good jam. Exactly. Right. You know, Alan Jackson had some jams. Oh, yeah. David Lee Murphy, oh, Dust on Balls. Yeah. Goddamn slapper. Yeah. We, we sang to that on the way here. I'm just, yeah. it was some of it, I just remember like, I don't know. I had my uniform, I guess, at the time. I was a greasy, long-haired pot dealer. <laughs> um, so I had to be cool with everybody, but I liked Wu-Tang more than that shit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? oh, yeah. Well, I will say this, and, you know, I guess we're kind of getting here close to the end. You make an excellent zombie, Sturgill. Tom that, and I saw oh, the Jim Jarmusch movie. That was a dream come true. Yeah. Uh, uh, I saw... It like working with Jim Jarmusch. Dude, you have no idea, man. I saw Ghost Dog and Dead Man. Ghost Dog is one of my favorite As a, as a kid, like way too... <laughs> I, I mean, dude, I, I, you don't understand. When I got that phone call, he literally didn't even get the sentence out. And I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it is, yes. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to send you a script. And you, uh, you know, if it's not for you, you know, and I read this shit... And he did. Wait, the script did not have included that I was going to be a running joke throughout the movie. <laughs> it was just like in, insert unnamed song title here, where he's like, "So yeah, the movie's called The Dead Don't Die," and uh, I was hoping you could, you know. So like, I read the script and I was like, "Oh, this is talking about modern America, and we're all like, we all have our own distraction mechanisms, or phones and coffee and the wool's being pulled over." So we're fucking. I, I get it. So I was like, uh, I wanted to juxtapose it with like a really sort of sweet. 60s sort of not country politan but like a really melancholy honestly i tried to make a beautiful country song yeah. yeah and to set against the mood of like a zombie film with iggy pop and it was awesome man i don't know and then he, then they called and he's like we need you to come to set for two days and you're gonna be zombie sturgill and i was like fuck yes <laughs> <laughs> right. my ships came in damn i can now i can retire you know what i mean um but that was awesome the movie got Humbled by a bunch of dickheads that didn't. They, I guess they'd never seen a Jim Jarmusch film. You have to you know. know you have I mean? to be familiar yeah. with this. The work. point of a Jim Jarmusch film is the film itself. He's yeah. literally <laughs> making fun of it all. Right. And the most deadpan. Dead, yeah. Film like, so it was the most deadpan <laughs> film. I was like, that's the point. <laughs> how did you get your job? Yeah, that's right. And I bet you do record reviews with earbuds, and that's, <laughs> that's all right. anybody fucking needs to know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. No, Jim's amazing. And the song is great too. That you were for it. It's really good. Um, um, that was, but yeah, seeing, I went to the premiere not knowing that, like, I was a joke. 
like <laughs> 16 times sitting God there just like this is getting fucking weird man yeah. it was surreal already but right. bill murray just threw my cassette tape out the window like this is yeah. awesome <laughs> bill murray and adam driver man the, that yeah that that cast was a uh, caleb landry jones is fucking caleb's amazing. a buddy Oh, Caleb's, Caleb's a good man. He was in life. Twin Peaks. Caleb's return. A, a good time. His, what Caleb Landry Jones is that guy and I. We've gotten some real trouble in L.A. Uh, Jesus Christ! Don't ever stay out past one a.m. with that cat, man. Cause he's fucking crazy. <laughs> I love him to death. Though. He looks like it. I mean, he's, such, he's so, so funny. Good. He's so. If you funny. ever get a chance to work with David Lynch, take the last time I saw Caleb <clears throat> was at the premiere in New York City, and he and I, and he had this. Uh, he was dating this Russian girl. We all went out to uh, the KGB bar in Lower East Side after the premiere. We wanted to get out of, away from the cake and cock and all the, the horse pony show. And we went to KGB bar, and it was literally we were the only three people in there with this Japanese bartender, very Japanese bartender. I speak a little Japanese, so and then the, the, so he was nice to us. His girlfriend was like, usually this guy's the rudest son of a bitch on the planet. Like, and he was being totally friendly. And then we started having a great time interacting and talking with him. And eventually, this table of two or three people comes in i'll never forget this shit um he was so annoyed that he had to now go and like wait on them that he went over to their table and started doing the armpit fart <laughs> and like <laughs> screaming bonsai i mean he was like he was like he was like let's go some of this let's go some of it like doing the doing the armpit fart this went on for like two minutes oh straight he's just God. And you see these these people in an utter state of shock and disbelief. And so are we, because we don't know what's happening either. But this guy went over and ran them out of the bar with his farting armpit until they left. And he could come back and hang out with us again. It was, oh, the most, awesome. it was amazing. That's so fucking good. Take that energy think, with you. I think he's I think he's the shit. He's brilliant. Man. I think he can. Yeah, I like, think he's going to be like one of the great like actors. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, almost I, that I type do. Of. He's that committed and out of his fucking mind. That, yeah. yeah, he's um, so cool. He's a sweetheart, man. I love him. Yeah. He's got a record too. He just did. It's fucking crazy. Really? Yeah. He's a musician. He, he cut it at Valentine out in L.A. and he played it for me. It was just like this thirty-five minute nonstop <laughs> psycho assault. <laughs> But it was brilliant. It sounded <laughs> like it, it sounded like Sergeant Pepper on crystal meth, man. I don't know what I was even yeah, listening to. You but. say Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think Crispin Glover might be a little more approximate. I'd say a little bit. Maybe somewhere in between the two. I don't know. He, um, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. <clears throat> well, um, so I guess you know, as we start wrapping this up, Sergio, um, you said you got a tour coming up. Is I do. A- I'm leaving in like a week. Okay. I'm going to live, I'm going to alternate for three months between the back of a bus and a, a room somewhere backstage in the halls of an arena, and I'm, I'm just going to sit in red light all the time, yeah. and we're going to red light on the stage, and I, I'm, I'm, I've been working out, I've lost like 22 pounds in the last three months. Congratulations. You look good. So, yeah, um, you look great. I'm trying, man. i got kids now. I don't want to be that dad that can't throw ball, you know? Right. Um, I used to be in really good shape, and I just got tired of feeling fucking fat and miserable, so... I'm just going to try to focus on my health and playing good shows and hanging out with my band because I love them. All important things. Um, Got Mr. Tyler Childers coming out. Tyler's going to come out open. Always a good time. Uh, Won't go anywhere near his bus because those boys eat dog shit. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I will hang out with him. I'm going to do a lot of racing, I think, on my days off. I've I've, I've gotten eat up with this going really fucking fast thing. What kind of racing? Um. Well, I like to rally. 
That's why I bought Subaru. We live way out in the country on all these two lanes. I ain't oh. gonna talk too much because there are local law enforcement. But um, <laughs> I, I'm a really good driver. <laughs> okay. So I want to get really better. Um, so the thing about having like fans that are NASCAR drivers is that you can like finagle your way in driving lessons for tickets. Hell and yeah. then Formula One is also kind of oh. some shit I'm into. Yeah. But really, my real dream is to break the record for the Cannonball Run, which just got recently reset and broken. And it's going to be really fucking tough to beat because these guys went full on Jason Bourne, like sp- spotters and airplane recognition software. It's just like it was insane. They got inf- incredibly lucky, too. They didn't hit any construction from New York to Redondo. But um, I'm going to break their fucking record. <laughs> <laughs> Please be careful. Yeah. I got this. I know you <laughs> said you were trying to tank your career, but um... let's not tank it that much. <laughs> No man, it's it's about it's about a, an untamed sense of control, like Roscoe Holcomb's voice. You know what I mean? You just gotta, oh, gotta yeah. you gotta know where the red is. You know. I, I agree. Well, good luck with that. Thank good you. luck with breaking the record. And thank um, you so much. And for I can't this shit, I can't man. promote it because it's illegal as shit. You but just just know plug that. But just know one day, maybe two, three years, four years, five years from now, you're gonna look. And see this guy who used to maybe play country music standing in front of his sleeper ass ride in front of a hotel <laughs> in Redondo Beach with the motherfucking record. <laughs> I hope so. I hope to see it. I hope to see it. Oh, yeah, baby. Um, well, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, this is you so guys are awesome. Uh, you're, 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 what you, I just I don't know. My wife. She made me aware that you were aware. I'm not on social media, so I don't really know shit anymore. And what you guys are doing, especially in Eastern Kentucky, is really beautiful. So thank you. I appreciate that, man. Really, I appreciate you doing this. We know you don't do too much. As far as this I try not goes, to. I'm lazy that. as fuck, man. <laughs> so are we? Well, we appreciate you rolling out this red carpet for us. So right. really, it's really, it's really Oh, the most pretentious hotel oh, room in the nice oh, We're actually in a trailer in Breast. Somebody <laughs> likes me. I'm not leaving this hotel. Yeah, we're room. on Pambo Lake, actually. Well, they were like, "Do you want them to come to you?" I was like, "That's too far. I'll drive to Nashville, and then I don't know who even." I don't know who did this. I'm sorry. (laughs) But there's a... I just want to point out. Give them a There's a fucking beer keg in the room. (laughs) All right. It's so good. And an espresso maker. It's got everything. We're going to drink I'm going to drink it all. I'm going to drink it all. You guys can stay here tonight. I'm I'm going home. (laughs) We're going to keg stay. You can trash this place. (laughs) I'm curious to know what this big fold-out... I guess it's a bed. That's a bed for sure. Let's find out. Yeah. Oh. Pull it it down. Here we go. Oh, shit. Oh, I shit. Knew it. It's totally a bed. It's a bed. There's a bed in the wall. I knew it. <laughs> hey, Gail, we figured it out. We figured yeah, out we got it. the massive cut down <laughs> in the wall. Um, well, anyways, Sergio Simpson. I'm just saying, so though, this room is not in my name. <laughs> okay. You can trash this place. I don't give a shit. Is it in Gail's name? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm probably paying for it. Yeah. Is, is there anything else you want to plug before you leave? Um... Besides breaking the Cannonball Run record and the new tour, um, and if there if people want to buy tickets to the tour, they just go to your yeah. I website. Tell you, uh, I like books. <laughs> if you're everybody's looking for a good book to read, the last book I read kind of blew my mind. It's called uh, "A Brief History of Seven Killings" by Marlon James. Hell yeah! Is it noir? Uh, no, it's, like it, it, won a, it won a Pulitzer, and it is, to me, is the most original voice novel I've read since probably the first time I read Confederacy of Dunces. Okay, oh, shit. It's all about, um, I love that book. It's all about mid-70s Jamaica, and specifically the U.S. government, the CIA's involvement in the drug trade there that they 
facilitated out into New York with the Shower Posse gang and brought the money back to use to buy weapons that they didn't use to train the Shower Posse gang to attempt to assassinate Bob Marley and successfully attempt uh, successfully assassinate Michael Manley, who was a revisionist politician and, and threatened. Yeah, this sounds right. Marlon James, right? Marlon James. James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Molina turned me on to it, and I just, I just I read I've read it like seven times now. I just, yeah, it's wow. amazing. So that's, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, well, that's a that's a good plug, Marlon James. <laughs> Get some. <laughs> yeah, get some. All right. Thanks Starters for coming Thanks out. so much. Sure. Love you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.